Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. In this series, Pastor Kirk Hall will be teaching through the book of the Bible known as the Revelation. At this time, open your Bible as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to your heart. You guys open your Bibles up to Revelation, the 21st chapter. We've got this chapter and the next in this study. Can you believe it? We have been on a long journey and a good journey thus far, and we are going to see tonight something take place on God's eschatological clock that I hope all of you have been longing for since the day you were saved. I hope it's something that you've thought about a lot. I hope paradise and the presence of God and a perfect society and no more sickness and no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow. I hope all of those things are appealing to you. Uh, because for whatever reason, in the mind of God, that's what He desires that we have for all eternity. We've been looking at a lot of the bad things. We've been seeing judgment, and we've been seeing wrath, and we have seen judgment last week, the great white throne judgment. Tonight we are going to take another step in this. There's going to be another tick on this end time clock. And that tick, we know as these ticks have been marked by the phrase, then... I saw. He's going to have another then I saw. So right after the great white throne judgment here in 21, we're going to see, John is going to say again, then I saw. This is the next step in this progressive revelation that he has been receiving. This is the next thing that is going to happen after the great white throne judgment that we saw last week where the dead who are not in Christ rejudge for their sin their lives were examined. They were not found in the Lamb's book of life. They were cast into the lake of fire. Now, moving forward, we're going to see again what I hope that each of you longs for. And that is perfect, complete, unadulterated fellowship with God, our Maker our Savior, for all eternity. So we've seen, before we get to this next, then I saw, we've seen the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. Right after we saw John, and as this vision opened up, and he met with the glorified Christ there in that vision, the first time that he had seen Jesus since his ascension. We then see that there were seven letters to seven churches of Asia Minor. We went through those letters piece by piece and examined those letters word by word and gleaned so much from that. Then we noticed that there was an absence from the church, and there has been an absence from the, of the church from after the third chapter of Revelation, somewhere between the third and the fourth chapter. The church just disappears. And we know, because we study the rest of Scripture, that there is that secret rapture, that mystery that Paul spoke about the church is taken out of this world. We've seen the opening of the seven seals. We walk through all seven of those seals as they were opened. Remember all of heaven searched for one who was worthy to open the seals, and there was none found, but then they said, wait, there is one. We know that the lamb who was slain, he opened those seals because he was worthy to do so. We've seen glimpse after glimpse into heaven where the abode of God is now, and the throne of God is now. 
We saw the tribulation begin. We saw the seven trumpet judgments that went throughout that tribulation. We saw the 144,000, the 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel raised up as witnesses for Christ along with the other two witnesses who we know were killed, were raised to life, and then they were raptured or ascended into heaven. We saw the rise of the Antichrist. We saw his kingdom come to fruition. We saw the false prophet who would aid him in bringing in not only a one-world government and a one-world economy, but we also saw that one-world religion through the false prophet. We saw the seven bowl judgments. How can you miss those? Plague after plague after plague poured out on wicked mankind. We know that was during that great tribulation, which we have outlined as the last three and a half years of this time, known as the tribulation, totaling seven years. We saw then the destruction of Babylon and how Babylon, that mighty one-world government and one-world religion, that system was going to come to a fall, and she will. We saw the return of Christ, and what a day that will be when Christ and his saints return to this earth. We saw him on that white stallion as a king should enter in to his kingdom. That's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to start at his return, what we call the millennial reign of Christ or his millennial kingdom, or we can shorten it and call it the millennium. We talked about those things for a thousand years. We talked about how that is a literal thousand years. That's not some symbolic number. Nowhere in Scripture does it even indicate that it could be some symbolic. And so we saw that thousand years, and then after the thousand years, uh, we saw the final casting of Satan into the lake of fire and the destruction of all living unbelievers there as they came out against Israel, God's holy city. And then we saw last week the great white throne judgment. And now in this lesson, we see another, as I said, tick, if you would, in that time clock. And it is marked by that phrase, then I saw. And he goes on to say in the first verse, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to see as the one true God always does. In this portion of scripture, we are going to see that he is going to uphold his faithfulness in fulfilling all of his promises. Tonight, he is going to fulfill promises that he's made to the church Promises that he made to the Old Testament saints, and the prophets can confirm that. Promises that were made to the tribulation saints as well. We're going to see that he is going to make everything new. That's the title of tonight, God Makes Everything New. Let me just tell you this, the more and more that I am in this world, I cannot wait until he makes everything new. We're going to see that tonight. He's going to make everything new. By making everything new, he's going to reestablish a perfect order and a perfect earth that he can again dwell with man as he once dwelt with Adam in the garden long ago before sin entered in. We're going to see the Lord is going to establish that forever paradise. It will be restored. Let's read it together. Revelation 20. Verse 1, there's that phrase, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. What hope we have from that. These words are trustworthy and true. I'm going to make everything new. And he said, write it down. Document it. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. As we look at this tonight, we are seeing God make everything new just as He has promised. And we're going to look at each element of this and we're going to see it very clearly. Verse 1, He makes a new creation. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He did this, and verse 5 says, because he says, I am making everything new. God is going to recreate and reestablish heaven and earth like he intended it to be before the fall of man. Why must it be recreated? We ask that question, why? Why is God going to create a new heaven and a new earth? Couldn't he just clean this one up. I'm so thankful that he's not just going to clean this one up. But he's going to recreate his desired order. The old earth and the old order of things will be destroyed. I'm thankful for that. Second Peter chapter 3, we have seen this. We looked at it last week. Let's look at it again. Verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Why is God going to destroy the old things? So that he can bring in the new things. He is going to destroy what is now, and he's going to bring in the new heaven and the new earth. The psalmist said in Psalm 102, verse 25, he said, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 26 says, They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, 
you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. Why do we have to have a new heaven and a new earth? Because the old heavens and the old earth will be destroyed by God as we know them. Now they will be purified with fire. Everything will be made new by God himself. Man is not going to do this. If you have any kind of thinking that we are somehow going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth, you are sadly mistaken. It is God himself who is doing this here. He is causing the old earth to pass away, the old heavens to pass away, the sky as we know it, the earth as we know it. He's going to make all things new. Romans chapter 8 when we were there in Romans, we learned that even creation, in verses 20 through 22, even creation is groaning for redemption. Because when man fell to sin, it was such a cataclysmic event that it even shook the foundations of this earth. This earth became a detestable and a defiled Thing. That's why God is going to purify it with fire and He's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth for us to enjoy with Him. Interesting here, it says that when we read, and then I saw a, a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away because God said that they would and they're going to. And there was no longer any sea. That seems like a trivial thing that's just thrown in there. There's no longer any sea. We know right now that three-quarters of the earth is ocean. We also know this, that we have to depend upon those oceans to survive, be it the food that they produce, be it the ever-cycling nature of the ocean, be it the filtration that it actually does upon the earth or the algae that actually produces much of the oxygen that we breathe in that is produced by the world's oceans. But it's interesting that he says there will be no more sea. We're no longer going to have to depend on what the sea provides for us. The interesting reason for that is this. The sea will be removed completely and we will be sustained by another source of water. In fact, we will be sustained by living water as the vast expanses of the ocean cease. All the world's sustenance will flow from the throne of God as His living water pours out into this earth. Everything that we need will come from the throne of God. Revelation 22 verse 1 speaks of this. We're going to look at it in detail when we get there in a few weeks, but it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal. The river of the water of life, where all life is going to flow from in the new heaven and the new earth. He says, flowing, where is it flowing from? From the throne of God and of the Lamb. All of our dependency will be from the flow that comes from the throne of God. Revelation 22 testifies to that. Joel, in chapter 3 of his prophecy, he says this, verse 18, In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house. And it will water 
the valley of the acacia. What a beautiful picture we see here being fulfilled. When he says there's no longer any sea, because there's no need for that sea, all of our sustenance is going to flow from the throne of God here in the new heaven and the new earth in God's new creation. This will be an entirely new thing. Nothing of this old, corrupt world will still exist. Even how we are sustained and how we will live forever. We're going to get to 22. We're going to see he describes this for us beautifully. We're going to see pictures of that river of life flowing from the throne and the tree of life. And we won't get into all of that tonight, but we will in the days to come. How beautiful we see that he is going to recreate everything. Many would stop here and say he's recreating everything for us. That's not the entire truth, is it? He's going to recreate everything for him. God could no longer dwell with man because man sinned. The earth fell when man fell. Therefore, God could not dwell intimately with man in this world as we know it. Those days are going to cease. He is going to physically dwell on the new earth in the physical presence of all of the redeemed in their glorified state. So we see the new creation. I hope you're excited about that. I hope that you're longing for that. I hope as a believer that you're homesick for that country to which you've never been before, that we're seeing described for us here, the new creation. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. They were gone. There was no longer any sea. Verse 2, which takes us to the next point, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We see here in the second verse, the new capital. This is the capital of the new earth or the new heaven on earth. This is speaking of the holy city of what he calls the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. Now, when we see it come down from heaven, we have to realize in its context that it's not new. It's new to us. This is the city of Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. This is that place in heaven, which is the city of God. This is that place that pointed to, in a shadow way, it pointed to the true Jerusalem in heaven when God established Jerusalem on this earth. We've learned this in Scripture many times, that Hebrews tells us that the things that we see in the Old Testament, those things point to realities that are found in heaven. So when we look to Jerusalem as it sits now, that little tiny city in the Middle East, know this, that is not the fullness of Jerusalem. The fullness of Jerusalem remains in heaven, but one day it will come down as the new Jerusalem, the capital of this new earth, the capital city of God, the throne room of God, if you would, come down from heaven. New in a sense only by the fact that we have never seen it, but it has already existed in heaven, and it will come down as this earth has now been made fit for her. 
Had the earth not been made new, the new Jerusalem that exists in heaven could have never come down. It would have been corrupted the moment that it came down here. But because the earth has been recreated and made new by God, now it is ready for the new capital, the holy city of Jerusalem, God's holy city. Did you know the men of faith of old looked for and looked forward to this city? In fact, we know that Abraham looked by faith to this holy city. Hebrews chapter 11, if you remember, it says this, by faith, in verse 8, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Even though he was looking for the promised land on earth, he knew that there was a greater promise that existed in heaven. We're going to see that more as we read Hebrews chapter 11 in just a moment. But this is the fullness of the shadow or the image of the Old Testament Jerusalem that was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. Not only was it destroyed in 70 A.D., it was destroyed other times by other factions and governments. But we know finally in 70 A.D., because Jesus said it would be so, it was toppled and it was leveled to the ground. Now, that's not the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven. That was a picture of the true Jerusalem that we're seeing here in Revelation 21. This is the place that the people of faith have always been longing for. If you were a believer here today, it is that internal place that you long for. That this side of glory, we can't know a whole lot about this particular city because we probably can't contain all that it is. Because it is the place where man will dwell with God in complete perfection. It is the place that our forefathers in the faith long for. We continue reading in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this in verse 13, All these people, talking about the people of faith, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Think about that for a moment. Abraham didn't receive Jerusalem, the Holy Land, the Promised Land, in his lifetime. Moses received the shadow of what was to come, thinking that he had had what was promised to Abraham. But we learn when we look at the entirety of Scripture that it wasn't fulfilled then. Watch. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had, not, if they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16 says, instead, they were longing for a better country. Watch this, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
Now, we are seeing in Revelation 21 that city that our fathers of the faith longed for. It was beyond the promised land. It was beyond Jerusalem in the days of Christ. It was beyond Jerusalem in the days of the prophets. It was beyond Jerusalem of any time in history on this earth as we know it. That city was just the shadow of what God had promised. God had promised this holy city of Jerusalem for his people that we're seeing here in Revelation 21 coming down from heaven. Isn't it interesting how when we take the full context of the word of God and we put it all together, it all begins to make sense. Abraham was not longing for a little small city in the Middle East. He was longing for the dwelling place of the eternal God, and he was longing to be there. That is going to come down out of heaven. That place that he has prepared for us in heaven, that he takes the raptured church to, and we enjoy for a season, it is going to come down, and all of the saints will enjoy that place for all eternity together. This is the new capital city, the holy city of Jerusalem, the place that was promised to the saints. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, says this, remember when we were talking about Philadelphia, when we were talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor, he says this in verse 12, he says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, never again will he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God, meaning he belongs to God. We talked about that then. And the name of the city of my God. Watch what he says next. Before we ever saw it in Revelation 21, he speaks of it in Revelation 3. And he says, the new Jerusalem. That's the city of God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. What a promise from Jesus right there to those who are truly in Christ. He says, you will belong to God. You will have citizenship in the new Jerusalem, and I'm going to write my new name upon you. These things are forever. This is eternal security in this place known as the new Jerusalem where we will live with God forever. It goes on there, and it says that she was coming down as a bride dressed for her husband. A bride dressed for her husband. There is nothing more beautiful in all of the world. I have stood time and time and time again at an altar during a wedding service or a wedding ceremony. One of the most exciting things that I get to do is to watch that groom's face when that young lady walks through that door. And she walks through that door, and I promise you, my wife is a beautiful woman, but there's nothing like that day when, she, when they opened those doors and she came in, and she was glowing because it was her day. It was her wedding day. She was making a covenant to her God. It was a beautiful thing. I've seen it time and time again, tough guy after tough guy, look down that aisle and see that pretty girl and fall to pieces and begin to tremble and shake and cry because she looks so beautiful. He says, that's how the new Jerusalem is going to come down. Oh, when we get to see the majesty of the holy city of God, it is like that bride that you see for the very first time, and she takes your breath away. He says, she's going to come down 
like a bride dressed for her husband. Nothing more beautiful. We can relay that message like that analogy. How we should long to see this glorious city. This is the dwelling place of God. This is where God the Father has dwelt for all eternity. And He is bringing it to this earth after He recreates the earth and causes her to be fit for His dwelling. Here this glorious city comes as this bride from heaven. We see the new creation and the new capital, the holy city of God, the holy city of Jerusalem that Scripture typified, shadowed, pointed to many, many, many times here in Revelation 21, the fulfillment of that. The new Jerusalem coming down by God's command. In that new city and in that new earth, we are going to also see next a new concept. We're going to see a new concept. Verse 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We see the new concept in the new earth, the new concept in the new Jerusalem, the new concept under the new heaven. What we see next is something that none of us have ever, ever experienced in all of our lives. And the whole idea that the Lord presents here is completely new to us. It is a new concept. We don't know what this is like. We can only think about it. We can only dream of something like this. A place where we dwell face to face with God. He dwells with us, us with Him. There's no more sickness. There's no more pain. There's no more disease. You don't go to a doctor and worry about the report that He's going to give you. You don't mourn your loved ones as they leave you. Never again will those things happen. Never again will you face the sorrow of that untimely phone call in the middle of the night. Never again will you experience any pain or any agony or any suffering. This is the glory that is being revealed here that, that the Word of God says far surpasses any of our suffering. That Those sufferings are light and momentary compared to this. Oh, one day because of Christ, there's going to be a whole new concept that we get to live under. A whole new order. Nothing like has ever been seen. The closest thing that we can come to is prior to the fall in the life of Adam and Eve as they dwelt with God and walked with God there in the garden. But since then, man has had no idea about the things contained here in verses 3 through 5. No idea. God dwells face to face with man. No longer do we have to hide in our shame. No longer do we have to hide in our embarrassment of our sin. Our sin has been taken away through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All things have been made new. The holy city of Jerusalem has come down from heaven and God desires to dwell with us face to face. 
fulfilling what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 27. He said, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. and They will be my people. And then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. His desire is to dwell with men. He has done everything possible so that he can. He has purged the earth of evil. He has offered an atoning sacrifice for sin. He's judged wickedness and had it removed. He's recreated the very earth that we live on. Now, he's dwelling with man just as Ezekiel said he would. Ezekiel 48 also testifies that it says the distance all around will be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on will be, watch this, the Lord is there. We don't know what it's like to dwell in the unadulterated presence of a holy God, but we will. We will. Now we fellowship with Him through a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will dwell in His presence and He in ours for all eternity on the new earth in the new city of Jerusalem. What will that be like? I don't know. Bart Miller probably said it best when he wrote this song many years ago. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. That's at best what we can do. This is a totally new concept to us, to really dwell with God. But he says we will, face to face. In this new concept, there will be no negative emotions, no negative feelings, no negative things, no temptation, no sin. It's a whole new order. Isaiah prophesied about it as well. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is ultimate healing because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Oh, so many people think that ultimate healing is for this life. Ultimate healing is for the life that is to come. Ultimate healing will happen here in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, when we are in the presence of God, and there is no more sickness, and there is no more pain, and there is no more sorrow. There is no more tragedy, bad news, and depression, and anxiety. Nothing negative that came because of sin will be any longer. It has all been purged and recreated in Christ Jesus. Zechariah says this in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10. He says, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Oh, what a day that is going to be when he lives among us. Zechariah 8, 8 says this, I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. That is the promise we know for the restoration of Israel and the earthly kingdom that we saw during the millennium. But it is also an eternal promise that they will dwell with 
him in the new Jerusalem forever. A whole new concept. In this concept, death has no part in the new order, on the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. Isaiah 25, 8 says this, He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of His people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Oh, what a promise from the Word of God that He has spoken, that it is as good as done. Here in Revelation 21, we are seeing it happen. He says, then I saw this, a new heaven, a new earth. All of the old was passed away. We see nothing but new here. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. The dwelling of God with man under this new concept and this new order. No more negative emotions, no more fear, no more death, no more sickness. All pain gone. Nothing but pure perfection. No concept of death to ever be known again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, it's talking about glorification, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. There will be no more death in the new earth and in the new Jerusalem under the new heaven. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? And what a day this is. Who's going to be there? The place of no more death. Oh, now we live under this. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But we long for that place where there is no more sin. Because if there is no more sin, there will be no more death. We're going to see that place if we're in Christ. And it is only in Christ that we will see that place. Let's look next at the new earth's citizens. Who will be there? Who's going to live and dwell with God for all eternity? Oh, many people claim that we're all just children of God. If that would be so, the whole world would dwell here, and that's not so. It is only the children of God who have been redeemed through Christ. It is His chosen saints who will dwell with Him forever. Look at what, what verse 6 tells us. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The new earth will be inhabited by the glorified saints of God. That's it. Can you think how amazing that is going to be when we are all one heart and one mind? We are all focused on the Lord and his glory and on Christ and the fact that he has redeemed us by his blood, there is no division. There are no arguments. There are no factions. There are no denominations. It will be the true saints of God inhabiting the glorified, recreated new earth. Saints from throughout history. Saints of the Old Testament. 
We can list them by name. If we had time, we know who many of them are. They will be there, glorified, dwelling with God, God with them. The saints of the church age, we can talk first about the apostles. We can talk about the early church fathers. We can, we can talk about church history, and we can go through the course of all of it. All of those people who are in Christ will be there. As we have seen in this study, those tribulation saints who are redeemed by God's graciousness to them during that awful time upon this earth, they'll be there, glorified in the holy city of God. The saints of all ages, there will be no more evil because there will be no evil people there. There will be no more immorality because there will be no more immoral people there. There will be no impurity because there will be no impure people there. There will be no more blasphemy because there are no blasphemous people there. We who are there have been redeemed, and now we have been perfected in Christ and glorified. And what did he promise us? He who I began a good work in, I am going to carry that unto completion. He said, be confident of that. We're seeing completion here. We have been perfected because of the righteousness of Christ that had been imputed to us positionally, but we have seen it now imparted to us at glorification. And it is imparted to us at glorification, and we are dwelling as citizens of the new earth in the new Jerusalem. What a glorious time that will be. In fact, I can't hardly contain myself when I talk about it. We are seeing everything that God has willed since the fall of man, in fact, in eternity past, so that he could dwell with man again. And he will. The earth's citizens, those true saints, only those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Only those will truly drink of the water of life that flows from the throne of God. Only those. Oh, we see Jesus allude to this in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus speaking there with a woman at the well. He told her, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, remember he asked her to get him a drink, she said, but I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. He said, if you only knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The living water that Jesus provides is for those who truly believe by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not only will he provide as he has in our life right now, pointing and assuring us that one day we will be fed from the river of life that flows from his throne. John chapter 7, we see again that Jesus alludes to this. It says there in 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. We know that he is talking about the Holy Spirit, and we know that the Holy Spirit is that deposit, that guarantee 
we are receiving right now that flow of everlasting water. And if it's everlasting, it's never going to stop. It will be here as citizens of the new earth that we really fully understand that analogy when all of life flows from the throne of God to the citizens of the new Jerusalem. This will be occupied not only by the saints who have existed and those who by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone have believed, making them saints. The believers will forever enjoy the citizenship that already belongs to them. If you're a true believer here today, you can't be content in this world. In fact, the more your flesh tries to be content in this world, the more you inwardly rage as a believer against your flesh. There's a war that's going on. If you're a believer, there is at least, and let me just help you, if there is no war going on between the spirit and the flesh, there is no war going on between your human desires to be of this world and your spiritual desires to long for that citizenship that you have here in this holy city, in this new earth that we're looking at, if that's not going on in your life, let me help you. You probably don't truly know Christ. But if you are truly in Christ, you know that there is something beyond all this. That your citizenship is not here. Or at least I hope you know that. If you don't, you're about to learn that. Believers will finally hear in Revelation 21 that be where their citizenship is. We are foreigners right now. We are sojourners. We, we right now are not at home. If this is your home, you're not in Christ. But here in Revelation 21, we're looking at the believer's forever home. The country that each of us should long for internally. The country to which we belong, where our citizenship lies, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Consequently, you are no longer, for, no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He says you're not foreigners in the household of God any longer. Weren't we once all foreigners? Yes, we were excluded from the kingdom of God without hope and without God. Ephesians tells us that. But thankfully, because of his grace and his mercy in Christ, we have been included into fellowship with him and into citizenship in his dwelling. And here we're seeing that come to pass. Philippians chapter 3 says this, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And I would say this to you, is it? Is your citizenship in heaven? Or do you still belong to this earth? Are you striving to accomplish all the things that you can accomplish in this earth? All those things will burn. They will pass away. They will be destroyed. Or are you doing as Jesus said? Storing up treasures for yourself, not on earth. Because those treasures will rust and decay. Jesus himself says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know where he's going to keep those treasures for you? In the new Jerusalem. They're coming down from heaven. 
you will enjoy that eternal inheritance. He says in Philippians again, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like his glorious body. Citizenship. In a place that we've never seen. That has been kept for us who are in Christ. And one day we will be glorified and we will be transformed from our lowly state. And we will dwell with God in the place that he has prepared for us to dwell with him in. The believers will experience the land to which they belong. These are all of those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb who have been bought off the slave block of sin, just as I have. Not only were we bought off the slave block of sin, but we are given an inheritance. We're seeing that here in this chapter. The inheritance unfolding. The inheritance that the saints should long for and do long for. This is the fulfillment of everything that the Holy Spirit guarantees internally to the believer right now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And why is that so important? Watch what the Holy Spirit does, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Where is our inheritance? Our inheritance is where our citizenship lies. Our citizenship lies in the new Jerusalem and the new earth when all of that comes to pass. He says, who is the deposit? Talking of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, verse 22, that He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Do you have that seal in your heart? Do you have that deposit of the indwelling Holy Spirit who guarantees you that when I talk about Revelation 21 and the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, it's something inside of you saying, that's my home. That something is the Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing that when you hear this truth, you know this truth applies to you. Does it apply to you? Do you long for this? I've never met a true Christian who didn't really long for heaven. There are many people who pretend, who love this earth, would rather stay here. You know why most of the church culture in America never talks about the return of Christ? Because their treasure's here. They never talk about heaven. Why? They're not longing for this place. They like it better here. In fact, they come into a church service and they say, we don't like singing so long. We don't like preaching so long and talking about God so long. And I say this to you, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate where you say your citizenship lies. And I don't know about you, but if you really have citizenship someplace else, you really belong someplace else, you are going to be homesick for that place. Many of you have served this country overseas in war and in battles. Maybe just in time, during, during a, a time where there was no conflict, but you were on the other side of the world. And what did you want more than anything? To get home. This is our home. Are you longing to be home? Are you longing for everything to be made new? 
Because it is according to His will and His plan. Are you longing for that? Are you in Christ? Is there that internal fire of the Holy Spirit when you look at heaven that wells up in you? He says, there's where I'm going to be forever. When heaven comes down, when earth is recreated, when paradise is restored, I am going to dwell with the God who loved me enough that He sent His only begotten Son to this earth to seek me out, to find me, to rescue me through His precious blood that He shed at the cross in my place. Are you longing for the reward of those who are in Christ? If you're in Christ, I have a hard time believing that you're not. And if you don't long for that, I have a hard time believing that you're in Christ. Let's look at this before we conclude tonight. We've seen the new earth citizens. Let's come to the realization again that there will be no unredeemed sinners who will be counted as citizens in God's eternal kingdom. None. Verse 8 says this to you. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Their place will not be in the new Jerusalem on the new earth. Their place will be in the burning lake of fiery sulfur, the second death. When you look at those things, I want you to pay close attention to it. He's not talking about people who committed those sins and repented of those sins and turned to Christ for forgiveness. He's talking about people who died in those things, continually and habitually being defined as their lifestyle. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, just as Paul tells us. Only those who are in Christ will inherit everything that we've seen tonight. In fact, John 14, 6, we all know it. And I pray that God would give me the grace and the strength to preach it until my last breath. It is Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Where is the Father dwelling? The Father is dwelling on the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, with His people and His people alone. alone. Those who trusted in Christ. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no one will come to the Father except by Him. And so I ask you this tonight, gentlemen. Are you longing for this day? Are you content with the things of this fleeting and evil and unbelieving world that we live in. Because as we saw last week, this world as we know it will be destroyed. And all things will be made new, everything. Why? Because he said, I am making everything New. You can count on it. Write it down, John, so that everyone knows it, so that we can warn from the mountaintops. 
that if you are not in Christ, you will not experience the newness of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. You will be in the burning, fiery lake of sulfur. You say, well, I don't like that kind of hell, fire, brimstone, preaching. Go get you a Book of Mormon and preach something different. But as long as we're preaching the Word of God, which is true and infallible and inerrant, you can't get around it. Here we see in Revelation 21 the glorious nature of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and God dwelling with man, man dwelling with God. No sickness, no disease, no pain, no sorrow, no death. And he warns still right after that. But there is a hell for all of the unbelieving sinners. There's a hell for all the unbelieving sinners. So you come to a crossroad here tonight. Is this your home? Then your home will be in hell forever. But if your home is a place that you long for, that is in the presence of God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for you at the cross of Calvary, you will dwell with our God in the new earth in the new Jerusalem, free from all of the tyranny and turmoil that sin has caused in this world. What will it be? Your sin? Or will you surrender to Christ? Be forgiven of all your sin? I implore you tonight. If you don't have the assurance of this guarantee, because it's a guarantee, all the believers will dwell with him. If you don't have the assurance of this guarantee, I would implore you tonight, cry out to Jesus to save your wretched soul. Call on him. He is faithful to save. If he is drawing you unto himself tonight, throw your hands in the air. Cease the fighting. Humble yourself. Repent of your sins and surrender to Christ this very day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We long for your presence. God, I pray that you would take this group of men here. That you would cause them to long for the place where their citizenship lies so powerfully. That each day they would honestly pray. Lord Jesus, come, rescue us. That each day that you delay because it's not yet your time, that they would share the gospel with urgency and power and strength from your spirit so that others would be brought in. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who even now, that deposit internally guaranteeing our inheritance, letting us know as we read the words of Scripture, we are yours. And because we are yours, we can bank on the fact that you desire to dwell with us and one day we will dwell with you. Thank you, Lord, for making that so clear. Thank you for loving us when we were so unlovable. Lord Jesus, I ask that tonight 
you would rescue any man who is here who does not know you. You would be gracious to them as only you can that your kindness would lead them to repentance that they would see that you have been patient so long with them. Lord, I ask that you would turn their heart toward you tonight. You would open their blinded eyes. You would cause them to see their wicked condition. They would trust in Christ for cleansing. Call on you as Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word, all the things that you teach us. May you be glorified in our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world. Thank you.